Hey Bulls Nation, welcome back to another episode of the Rebuild the Bull podcast. I'm your host, Matt Gentile, and since our last episode, there's been a lot that's went down with the Chicago Bulls. Of course, they've acquired Lonzo Ball, DeMar DeRozan, Alex Caruso, throw Tony Bradley in that mix. The Bulls are making moves to try to make themselves a playoff team, because why? They have an all-star. And Zach Levine. They have an all-star, Nikola Vucevic, and they're ready to take that next step into the upper tier of the Eastern Conference. Now, we'll see how it all plays out. Billy Donovan has his hands full to try to get all these pieces to work well together, but this is what you want. You want a team that has talent to compete, to get into the playoffs. I understand you want to build homegrown talent, but the last three, four years, they've been trying to find superstars through the draft. Well, guess what? You can't do it when you're sitting at the seventh pick every year in the draft if you're not tearing it all the way down to the studs. Well, they tried doing that. They failed under the previous regime. And then the rules changed because the odds of you getting a top pick by just tearing it down and losing a bunch of games doesn't really work anymore. It's a little bit more of a crapshoot. So instead, the route that Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley are taking They want to build around Zach Levine. They want to see, can Zach Levine take the next step? Or, at the very least, continue to be a key contributor on a top-tier team. And from there, find your next piece. So what do the Bulls do now? They add Lonzo Ball. What does that do? It brings a facilitating point guard into the mix. Something the Bulls sorely needed, as we highlighted in our previous episode. The Bulls get the point guard that they wanted. Like, we've heard, I feel like for years that the Bulls have been interested in Lonzo Ball. And we certainly heard around the trade deadline, they were trying to make that deal happen with the New Orleans Pelicans, using Laurie Markkinen as trade bait. But the framework for a deal was in place, and it got done. I do wish it happened a little bit later than 5 o'clock Central, because the Bulls are now, of course, being investigated by the league for potential tampering. The good news is the deal is done. It already went through. Lonzo Ball's a bowl. League office approved that. But this investigation could lead to the Bulls cutting a very hefty check. Could be worth millions and millions of dollars. Uh, The precedent recently set by the league was in this tampering case with Bogdan Bogdanovich and the Milwaukee Bucks last offseason. Now, Bogdanovich ended up not signing with the Milwaukee Bucks. But... There was some talk about the structure of a deal before the opening of the free agency period. Bogdan ended up in Atlanta, and some reporters have said that the reason the Bucks were only docked a second-round pick and paid a fine was Bogdan didn't end up with them. Still, they ended up paying, I think, close to $10 million. I'm, I'm sure the Bulls could be cutting a check around there or even more if they're found guilty, and that's still a big if. We can't assume that anything went wrong. But if anything did go wrong, you can certainly bet they're going to pay a a major fine. Now, in terms of what they could be docked, you know, they've given up a lot of draft capital already. I get it. Like, what's one more pick? You hope it's not first-round draft capital, but seeing as they got Lonzo Ball, if they are indeed guilty, I I could definitely see a draft pick being taken away, a first-round draft pick. So, we'll see. Uh, Fingers crossed. Hopefully nothing is found there, and the Bulls can just move on and breathe easy. 
The one thing that's still surprising to me is Laurie Markkinen. I thought he would have been used in one of these sign-and-trades that happened with the Spurs or New Orleans. He was not part of either of those deals. You know, there's been teams interested, right? We've heard the Hornets, although they made the signing for Kelly Oubre, so that's kind of softened a little bit. Minnesota Timberwolves, the Dallas Mavericks are the latest team that's being rumored with potentially Maxi Kleber being moved in a deal. I would personally like to see if they can get a player and maybe recoup some draft capital. It would be nice because in the DeMar DeRozan deal, you did surrender a future first, but really at the end of the day, what's a future first if you're hopefully making some runs in the Eastern Conference playoffs? I'm not quite sure what the ceiling of this team is. You know, I'll be honest. I'm thinking maybe they're somewhere within the top five of the Eastern Conference. You know, if it takes them a while to gel, maybe they're somewhere around six, seven, eight, and and have to compete in the play-in area. But there's a lot of these teams kind of all bungled together in the East. Because right after Brooklyn, Milwaukee, right after that, there's just this pool of teams that are all clustered together. Like even Philadelphia, I'm not sure if, if they're elevated into the top top tier with Brooklyn and Milwaukee. Uh, I don't think Atlanta is necessarily there to stay. I think they, they caught some breaks this year, especially when they got in the playoffs. But like teams like New York and Miami, Boston, you know, the Hornets, um, I feel like I'm missing another team in there. But that grouping... I feel like it's there for the Bulls to really elevate this year if everything gels together. I just like the fit for all of these pieces. You know, I like the fact that you get the facilitator in Lonzo. I like that you add an athletic wing in DeMar DeRozan. Yes, is he not the best three-point shooter? Is he not the best defender? Yes, he's not talented in those areas. But you know what he is good at? He can score 20 freaking points in his sleep and facilitate the ball well in the half court. And to me, he's going to be the reason that Patrick Williams gets to play his natural position at the four and flourish in that spot. And a guy like Kobe White, you know, if he's healthy, when he's ready, can play the role that he's meant to play and be a combo guard coming off the bench, giving you those spurts and stretches you need. I really like this team. I like the depth. I like the fact that you have multiple options on this team. And not to mention, you're flexible still. Yes, I understand there's there's lost draft capital and you don't necessarily have an alpha dog maybe yet. But if one is eyeing your situation, wants to come play with Zach Levine, you have some options and some ways to get that player here. We saw Mark Eversley and Arturis Karnaschovas masterfully operate as an over-the-cap team using sign-and-trades to their advantage. And we've seen in this league... How many times has Russell Westbrook been moved? Plenty of times. The reason I bring that up, if you need to shed a contract at some point, like a DeMar DeRozan, or Alonzo Ball, or a Nikola Vucevic, you can do it. It's doable in this league. So you're not totally strapped. You can regain capital in some way. You can make moves happen. So I'm excited. I'm really excited about this upcoming season. To join me today... To talk about these off-season moves and the upcoming season is Drew Stevens. Now, Drew Stevens, I recently discovered him on Twitter during the draft and into the infancy of the off-season. I saw that he blogs and started to read his work. 
He writes for War Media, W-A-R-R, War. He does a lot of different just columns and blog posts on all Chicago sports, but his thoughts on the Bulls are really well-informed. He cites a lot of reputable sources and provides his takes and opinions off those. And very talented writer. And I wanted to have him on today and to introduce him to the Rebuild the Bull podcast audience because I definitely think he's worth a follow if you like to get some nuanced takes on the Chicago Bulls. So let's bring him in now on the phone. Drew, welcome. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing really well, man. I'm, I'm, it's a pleasure to be here with you. I uh, started following you on Twitter and really got into your, your podcast, and I really enjoyed your executive um, decision series. Uh, all those episodes were awesome, man. Those guys from Bulls Gold and Michael Walton and Elias um, Schuster, I really enjoyed those. Thank you so much. They're always so fun to do, too, and I think we might have to reconfigure those episodes after all these moves the Bulls made, but uh, we'll definitely get you on to do do a little armchair GMing for us because that's always a lot of fun for the guests, too. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. I don't know if I can live up to the standard of the guys you've had on thus far. Um, their knowledge is a little bit deeper than, than mine runs at the moment, but hey, man, I'm all for it. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because I recently started – following you on Twitter, and I had seen some of your work circulating out there from War Media, and I gotta say, you you got some really good thoughts on the Bulls. I wouldn't sell yourself short like you just did. Um, A a lot of your your takes and your opinions are really well informed. If you could, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, because again, you're with War Media, but what got you into this whole gig? Well, so I've always had a passion for writing. Um, I actually went to Southern Illinois University in Carbondale and graduated with a degree in journalism all the way back in 2005. Um, did a couple of internships afterwards, and life just kind of took me in a different direction. I'm actually, uh, I work in healthcare uh, at the moment, but around the time The Last Dance came out um, last year, Someone, a friend of mine who actually went to SIU as well and who was running War Media, um, Kyle Means, he, he saw that I had written something from The Last Dance and he invited me to start writing for War Media. And it just kind of took off from there, man. It was, it was great to kind of tap back into a passion of mine. And at the end of the day, I'm just a Chicago sports fan, uh, primarily the Bulls. Um, and I'm just, just a guy that likes to write, man. I love to write, especially about sports, and I'm just enjoying doing that now. It's, 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 it's really, been, really been fun, man. The process of learning more about these teams and, and listening to guys like yourself um, who have been around uh, kind of the Bulls community for a while, uh, getting you guys' perspective. Um, everybody kind of has something unique to offer, and I, I really value that, and I try to – use you guys, use what I hear from um, the national media guys uh, to kind of inform my writing. So I appreciate you saying that because I I try to take as as much care as I can into not just putting something out there that I know is not going to stick or I know, um, you know, is not coming from a well thought out place. You know, that's one of the main things that kind of drives my writing. Well, and what's amazing, too, you, you said there that you're a journalism major, and, and from one journalism major to another, I could tell by the style of your writing that you're very careful. Um, yes, and I try to approach, you know, I try to approach the podcast the same way. Like, if I'm not an expert on something, I don't try to pretend I am. 
And uh, <laughs> that's, that's why I try to bring guests on that can help inform the listeners. And I just try to drive the discussion through questions or certain things that I've read from you know, sources I trust, art, articles I trust, media outlets I trust. And I, I do definitely notice the same from you. So um, I always like to have a fellow J school major on. And <laughs> j- just like you, my life took me in a different direction too. I'm in the world of digital marketing now. So that you, that usually that usually happens with journalism majors. You know, it, uh, it's a tough industry. I know, right? I know. I think that feels like things, you know, not necessarily um, recently, um, maybe a little bit more in the past, things have kind of started to change where, you know, people have these blogs and they kind of make a name for themselves doing that um, mm-hmm. and able to gain a following and able to get eyes on your work that, um, you know, when I came out of school, I didn't, that was not even a, an idea back then, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 a, it's a good time to, to kind of get back into it and make the most of what it is, you know, just, just writing from, from the heart um, and letting that kind of lead the way. And that's what I'm trying to do. Again, for our listeners, can you tell them where they can find your work? What's the, the website and where they can follow you on Twitter? What's your handle? Absolutely. So my Twitter handle and my IG handle are both um, Look What Drew Did. You can find my work at um, War Media. That's with two R's. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. And we also have a, uh, a Substack called the War Ready Substack, where all my work is as well. And some of the work of the other guys and, and, and gals that work with War Media. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, they're really good articles, and I've read some other people's work too. It's really well-informed discussions and nuanced opinions. So I really, really encourage our listeners to check it out. But I brought you on, of course, to talk about everything that's gone down with the Bulls. I mean, you just feel the excitement right now in Bulls Nation with the signings of Lonzo Ball, DeMar DeRozan, Alex Caruso, even Tony Bradley, I think, is getting some love, too. So, I mean, just overall, your thoughts on everything that went down last week or so with the Chicago Bulls. It's, it's, it's been wonderful, man. Just growing up a Bulls fan and having, this, like you said, having this excitement kick up um, back around the city. I don't remember it being like this since, man, maybe Derrick Rose, um, kind of the anticipation of his, of his uh, rookie season. Um, so from that perspective, it's, it's been really fun. Uh, it's, it's good to see that the Bulls are getting a lot of national attention now. Um, and also just kind of how it's correlating with, you know, Justin Fields and the Bears and, and Tim Anderson and the White Sox and the Field of Dreams game. It's like, you know, the city is, is kind of being put back on the map um, where it kind of feels like it always should be, being that we're, you know, one of the biggest cities in the country. Um, in terms of the Bulls getting back there, it uh, it, it was really fascinating um, to see how they were able to pull these trades off uh, with the help of, of the cast specials they had in-house, um, J.J. Polk. Because mm-hmm. in, into the summer before free agency started in the draft, there was this idea that, you know, we, they have a lot of work they have to do, but it almost felt like they had one hand tied behind their back. Um, so for them to come out of free agency with, DeRozan and Ball and Caruso and also be able to pluck the uh, sumo out of the draft, I think they, man, I don't know how much better or how much more they could have asked for. It's, it's, it's really been a great summer for them, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing what their product on the court is going to look like and how Billy Donovan is going to 
adjust to <laughs> his new toys. Well, you know, I'm I'm actually glad you called out J.J. Polk. Uh, I feel like he hasn't gotten enough love because we never saw under Garpax the Bulls operate as an over-the-cap team and pull off those types of creative sign-and-trades or creative moves to try to get guys that want to play with you to, to fit. It's a big credit to him because now we're finally seeing the Bulls try to be like one of the big boys and, and do these things that other teams did. We've seen Miami do it in the past to get Jimmy Butler. We've seen Golden State try to operate to get guys when they're over the cap. And it's, it's good to finally see the Bulls get into the 21st century of the NBA. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, like you said, just a big market, big market team and, and thinking and acting like a big market team makes a huge difference. Uh, there's no reason why, you know, they couldn't have done some of the things that, are, that uh, you know, the front office is doing now back then. Um, it's all about mind state. And then I, I wonder, too, um, you know, I, I don't know if I have any way of kind of digging up the info, but I don't know if, if signing trades were as in vogue back then as they are now. It may be one of those things where, um, you know, you kind of get caught up in doing the things other people are doing because you don't know any better. You don't do better. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be giving them giving them too much of a life raft because you, you you also want to be able to adapt and, and grow in your position. But I, I wish I could kind of take a more of an in depth look at that and see what some of the front offices were doing uh, throughout that period of time that Gar Pax was running things here and kind of aligning or comparing and contrasting what was going on and if they were just way behind the eight ball or if they were kind of falling in line with what was going on then. I would never say that they were trend-setting for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's a good point because I think around the time that they were hitting their, I guess, quote-unquote, sweet spot, you know, you brought up around the time that Derrick Rose came to the Bulls, you remember the big thing in the league then was, well, just get yourself in position to shed cap space. Go get the big fish. And then you kind of saw when they tried to make the play for Carmelo Anthony in 2014, they were trying to get him to sign – a sweetheart deal for them, or at least sign a, at a low, below market deal, and it didn't pay off. He wanted to go to New York, and I feel like since that moment, the pers- like the philosophy around the league might have changed. You realize a lot of these guys weren't going to take deals below market value. I think once LeBron James started to say, "Hey, I'm going to get what I'm worth," and the rest of those guys at that same tier said the same thing. I think that's maybe where it changed, where front offices had to adapt and say, okay, well, now these guys aren't going to take below-market deals to win titles. We got to do something to manipulate our, our cap space to get these guys. Yeah, that's that's a great point, man. Those, those are great points, especially about Carmelo and and how you know they kind of played it a little cheaper than maybe they needed to or, or could have, um, and how even even with that, episode they still kind of continued along the path that they were on instead of kind of seeing the error in their ways and and trying to do better you know you gotta if you want to win big you gotta play big you gotta you gotta roll the dice you can't just sit on your laurels or you know say well we tried and think that's gonna solve the problems or get the get the franchise back to where you want it to be um so that's a great point that's a great Mm -hmm. point with Carmelo so with all these moves that happened, and I thought you wrote a really good piece about how you think Zach Levine 
was the straw that stirred the drink in all of this. So if you could just, um, and I encourage everybody to go check out Drew's article on this, but if you could recap it just a little bit for our listeners as to why you think Zach Levine played maybe the biggest role in getting Lonzo Ball and DeMar DeRozan to sign on the dotted line. So, yeah, so I think it, it all it all started with um, AK and, and Eversley jumping on board and going into their first season, not making, you know, <laughs> many changes outside of, um, you know, bringing in Garrett Temple um, and them not knowing what direction they wanted to go. You know, they were kind of settling into a evaluative period. And, you know, by all-star break, by the time, you know, Zach got his first all-star nod, it was clear that they were going to align themselves with Zach and do everything they can to build the team around him and put more uh, support around him as well, give him a a better supporting cast, better players, um, help him, the team, and the franchise uh, get back to a state of um, respectability around the league and, and relevance. And, you know, from that point on, to their credit, they stayed in that direction. You know, they made that trade for Vooch, which kicked everything off, um, bringing in a, another all-star. Um, weren't able to work any magic with the Pelicans and Lonzo Ball at the trade deadline last uh, last season, maybe because of that trade for Vooch. But they stayed the course. They kept working the phone, uh, working David Griffin. Um and were able to bring in Ball and Caruso and DeRozan. But it all started from Zach convincing them that they needed to build around him to get this thing moving in the right direction rather than blow it all up. Because that was, that was a huge thing, you know. Man, you know, how many people on, on Bulls Twitter were talking about the need to trade Zach? And I still saw that um, heading toward the end of the season and into the summer. You know, there were some fans who were of the mind that, you know, Zach is not a winner. He's never going to be a winner. And because of his defensive uh, inefficiencies, um, you know, it was going to be better to kind of blow it up while his, his trade value um, was high. But, you know, whether right or wrong, we'll see what happens. You have to at least admire the front office for picking a direction and going with it um, and seeing where it goes from there. Well, and I totally agree with that because – you know, I often said on these episodes before the 2021 season that it was a year of evaluation. And I was even in that camp, I'll admit it, that was open to the idea of training Zach. And I thought he was a valuable piece, but I, I wasn't sure if he was, you know, a number one on a championship contending team or even a number two. But, you know, once I saw him play this year under Billy Donovan, I, I mean, he made a believer out of me to think he could be a key piece to a title contending team and you just got to fill out the rest of the roster and maybe find the big alpha eventually to come in. But, and he, there's still room for him to grow. So I'm keeping an open mind too, but to your point, AK Mark Eversley definitely saw that and they've built this, this team around him. And I guess my, my question now for you would be of the signings they made, who do you think is going to have the biggest impact in elevating this team with Zach and Vooch? That's, that's a great question, um, and as much as I like the defense that Lonzo Ball and, and Alex Russo bring to the team, I think it's got to be DeMar DeRozan. Um, mm. he, he, you know, him being a wing, uh, first of all, he's going to put Patrick Williams in a more natural position 
um, at the fore, which has been, you know, highly debated as well and argued. Um, and secondly, just the, the ability he has to playmate for his teammates and for himself is going to set Zach up and, and set up the rest of the team in ways that we haven't seen before. Um, you know, a lot of times Zach was having to go at it by himself um, and somehow we're still putting up ridiculous shooting percentages, uh, which is crazy to think about when when you think of how much defenses can key in on him or could have keyed in on him. Um, but I'm just really eager to see what DeRozan does. I think that if this team is going to be successful, he has to be the the new piece that kind of gets them there. And um, yeah, so kind of the Billy Donovan to to figure out creative ways to to get guys going and make the make the fit work. Mm-hmm. And like the thing with DeRozan, I know a lot of people, and I've seen John Hollinger from the Athletic, you know, lose his mind over this whole sign and trade because of I, he made like some point that he's worth about thirteen or fourteen million dollars a year, which is total bullshit. But anyway, um, I mean, I, I look, I understand he's he's on the other side of thirty. But the guy still averages in his sleep 20-plus points a game. And I think the most underrated thing about that guy is he's a facilitator. Like, we've seen him be a master at helping set up an offense in the half court in San Antonio. And even he showed some of that in in Toronto. I honestly, like, when you were talking about Billy Donovan being creative and and setting some of these lineups, I think we're going to see a lot of that is – even DeMar DeRozan facilitating some of the offense in the half court and even Lonzo playing off ball in some cases. So, like, I, there's a lot of value to me that he brings to this team. Yeah, and I think that's, that's a, you know, that's that's um, a great point you made, and I think that seems like the best way to go, um, being is that's how uh, Greg Popovich used DeRozan in San Antonio. Um, it, it led to him having a career high in assists last year. Uh, you speak about his age, but this guy is not necessarily um, over the hill, you know. He may not, he may not um, be close to where he was in terms of his peak, but he's still in his prime. Um, and I think that's important to recognize as well. I don't know where you know John Hollinger got his uh, expected value and how you break that down monetarily, but I mean, just it, it goes so much deeper than just on the court. Results. I mean, of course, that's the most important thing. But the fact that DeRozan signed here and what that shows to the rest of the NBA, you know, DeRozan is a guy who is well-liked and seems to be well-respected around the league, well-received. So for him to come here, that that means so much more than what John Hollinger can put a dollar sign to. That's, to me, the market value and the going rate for a guy with that production. Um, And I understand, like, there were teams that were looking at him that wanted him to take the the mid-level exception, but those were teams that were totally cap-strapped, and Bulls did have some wiggle room to give him the money that he probably was going to demand from maybe even a, a lesser team. You know, the other thing, too, it's a deal to me. When you're talking three years, $85 million, and I, I get the first-round pick went into that whole sign-and-trade, but three years, $85 million is also not, to me, a cap-strapped contract, and it's... One that if you wanted to, let's say there was a big name that's out there, that's a movable contract because after this year, you got two years left on it. If you want to make a play for a big name star who wants to come to your team and it takes moving DeMar DeRozan, I I don't think that would be a problem just because it's not like there's a ton of years left on that deal and it's 
the 40 plus million dollar contract we're seeing some of these other aging stars get yeah and i mean i think that you know contracts are much easier to move than what they first appear you know how many times mm-hmm. has westbrook been moved you know john wall was moved teams find a way uh you spoke about miami earlier in the conversation <laughs> the way they come up with money out of, out of seemingly nowhere like you can make these deals work uh you just have to have a front office who's willing to do the moves or make the moves um necessary and I think it's it's not lost on me or it shouldn't be lost on Bulls fans and observers that, you know, we spoke about the former regime uh, playing things a little bit cheaper than maybe they needed to. The fact that the Bulls gave him the amount of money that they did, free agency that or, you know, other guys around the league see that too. You know, that, that word gets around too. These guys are not playing it like the former regime or the former, the former front office did. You know, they're willing to kind of come out of their pockets. Uh, to get this franchise in a better position. And that, that speaks volumes, and I hope it does speak volumes to, uh, you know, potential free agents down the line. So I want to talk about another potential move. It, it's been, again, a couple of weeks since the start of the free agent period, and Laurie Markkinen is, still doesn't have a home. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm wondering if this is going to be a, a giant staring contest to see who blinks because – I honestly, I thought it would be done by now. Um, if you had to make a prediction, do you think he's staying on the qualifying offer? Do you think the Bulls are able to pull off a sign and trade? Or is he going to get a contract offer that the Bulls are just going to say, you know what, we're not matching this one? What, what do you think is going to happen with Laurie Markkinen? I think I'll probably go with them finding a way to um, get a team involved or two teams. I'm not sure how it would have to work out, but finding a way to get a sign and trade done. Um, they've been going at this thing you know, for the whole summer, basically. And I don't think it's, it's not to say that it's too far gone to bring him back. Um, I don't think that marketing is the type of guy who's, if he would come back, is going to be like a, a, a cancer to the locker room. I think he plays his role. Um, he, he do what he could do. The things that we've seen him do throughout his career. Um, and they might be able to move him, uh, you know, midway through the season, um, kind of build up his draft stock, even though I think um, if he accepts that qualifying offer, it, it comes with an automatic no-trade clause. But again, like uh, this guy is trying to find a home. He wants to be a starter. I don't think if you if he builds his stock up the way that he wants to, there's no reason why, you know, he would um, enforce that no-trade clause if he can get into a better situation. And he clearly doesn't want to be in Chicago anymore. Uh, but I think they find a way to figure this out and get a sign and trade done. Yeah, and I'm wondering what they want in terms of assets because we know that there's been a, a few teams interested. Like we, we heard San Antonio when the free agency period opened up, that seemed to wane after the, the Rosen deal. We've heard Minnesota. We've heard Dallas recently. And, and the report that came out today from The Athletic, from Tim Cato, is that the Bulls might be interested in, in Maxi Kleber, He's a very interesting prospect at the power forward position, but I wonder if, if they're, are they looking for a player? Are they looking for a first round pick maybe to recoup assets that got lost in the sign and trade with the Spurs and the, the Vooch deal and potentially a penalty from the league on the whole Lonzo ball tampering issue. Um, I kind of wonder what, what they're looking to get from this. What do you think would be the best thing the Bulls could get in a sign and trade package? Um, of the, of the things that have, have come out, 
um, the most, like you said, the most recent news is, is Maxi Kleber. I think that might be it. And depending on how it worked out, they might be able to get another player in return. Um, I think the best way to go right now, although they, you know, are kind of short on draft capital, they still need to build up that, that front court depth. And Kleber is a guy who pretty moves his feet pretty well on defense, um, can knock down the three. Um, I think there's like a difference of maybe there was a difference of maybe six or seven points per game between Markinen and, and Kleber. But uh, the fact that he can step out and hit the three, you know, is just icing on the cake to the defense that he can provide and, and the big body that he is. Um, they're able to get a second player out of that, uh, you know, presumed deal. That would be awesome, too. Um, mm-hmm. But I think this, this of what I've heard, this, this sounds like it could be kind of like the best case scenario right now for the Bulls. Yeah, the the player that's getting rumored to be part of that deal, the one that Tim Cato threw out there was uh, Trey Burke. Uh, so a veteran point guard who, you know, I mean, he, he's been a decent player throughout his career, but I mean, I think it's more there to, to match potential salary. But yeah, I, Kleber is an interesting prospect to join the team because it's basically like you're getting a pared down version of Laurie Markkinen who's better suited to be a rotational piece, which is what the Bulls are going to need now. Yes, and a, and a, a better defender, and a better mm-hmm. defender. We know, <laughs> we know that um, you know the way this team was constructed last season and, and what it looks like now. You know, we went from being kind of short on um, backcourt depth to now being short on in the front court. So, Cleveland would 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 help out tremendously, I think, um, in the grand scheme of things. And if you're able to get Trey Burke too. Um, like you said, a veteran point guard who I thought would kind of be a better player at this point coming out of Michigan. Um, but it, the NBA has a way of <laughs> kind of humbling guys. But I, I would like that deal for the Bulls. I really would. And I wonder, too, because another name that I know I've been kind of interested in, there's a bit of a connection with Arturis Karnaschovas is uh, Paul Millsap. Maybe that's a name that could be there if they can't pull this kind of a deal off if the return for marketing is draft capital or, or maybe just a, a salary throwaway, you know, maybe then you, you try to call Paul Millsap and get him on a veteran deal. If you can't get somebody like a, a Maxi Kleber. Yeah. That's, that's another great avenue to turn to as well. You, you could do much worse than a veteran uh, like Millsap who can also, he can score when he needs to in terms of um, his shooting stroke, uh, knows how to play defense. He's sad. He's been in the league a while. Um, that's another viable option, or would be a viable option if it if it um, worked out. You start thinking about a second unit of what Kobe White, Alex Caruso, um, Maxi Kleber, or um, Troy Brown Jr. in there. Troy Brown Jr. Either you know, again, either Kleber or Millsap, Tony Bradley. Like that's. That's a pretty decent second unit. Like, there, there's a lot that Billy Donovan can do with the second unit weaving pieces in and out. I don't know. That, that gets me pretty excited for next year because the one thing that really bothered me last season is the lack of depth. And you saw how depth was so important when guys go out of the lineup or get hurt. And it's kind of nice that this could be a year where they, they have some pieces that they can turn to if if guys got to sit out for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. It just with with kind of reinforce um, how everybody is kind of feeling about the team right now. I'm really interested to see how they use Troy Brown, Troy Brown Jr. Um, and how Donovan maybe staggers 
some of those starters, namely, you know, DeRozan and Levine with the guys in that second group, see what he can get out of them. And, and like, that's what I was going to say, too. Like, it would be nice to see some more staggering. I know he tried to do it a little bit last year, but, you know, you, when you got to stagger in Denzel, Denzel Valentine and Garrett Temple, I mean, that's you, you're grabbing straws at that point. But, yeah, like, there's a lot of opportunity to do that. And I am interested to see, even with Kobe White, you know, when and if he's healthy, that's an intriguing one to stagger in and out because now you can just let that kid cook. Like, let that kid do what he does best and create his own shot, get those open threes off the ball. Like, that to me is what Kobe White is suited to do, not necessarily be your floor general. And you got plenty of facilitators now, like we were talking about with with DeMar in the half court, Lonzo Ball pushing the ball on a lot of fast breaks. There's a lot of opportunity for Kobe White to do his thing. There really is, man. There really is. Um you know what? I don't think we, we talked about Caruso uh, in that second yeah. group, or maybe I missed it. Yeah, man. Like the the way that these 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 deals have worked out, and kind of how they put players like Patrick Williams and, and Kobe White uh, in better position to succeed, it's 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 phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Now they just gotta be able to execute. As we start to wrap up here, I, I want to actually ask you about Patrick Williams. Um, I mean, he, he had some impressive games in summer league. Now again, it's summer league, but how are you feeling about Patrick Williams coming into this year? Because he's going to move to probably a position he's more suited to play in this league at the four. You think we're going to have a big year out of Patrick Williams? Uh, man, I, I, I stopped sort of saying big just because, you know, it's relative to each individual definition of that word. But um, I, I, feel, I feel better about him now than I did before free agency. Um, you know, like we talked about, uh, bringing the Rosen in now settles him into that four spot, um, and having Ball, you know, having another year with Vooch uh, and Zach, being able to play maybe with with Kobe White sometimes, it's it's not going to put that same amount of pressure on his shoulders to score as it looked like there was going to be um, before these these trades went down, before free agency went down. So I think that he's in a in a in a better position, um, just like the team is in general, to to succeed, um, really. And I don't know that he showed enough last year in terms of kind of wanting the ball and, and, and wanting to be relied upon to score. You know, it kind of had to be pulled out of him. And, that's you know, that's, that's okay um, for the team that we have right now. It's, it's, it's not a bad thing to not have to rely on a second-year player to make like a Herculean jump um, in his sophomore season. Now we just got to figure out, you know, what he can do um, to help the defense. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's I think that's that's where that's where his contributions are, are really going to take shape. I think on is on the defensive side of the ball, and maybe you know being able to become a more um, a more uh, you know reliable, not reliable, but uh, a more willing shooter from the corners. You know, playing yeah. off the ball playing off Vuce, playing off Zach, playing off DeMar. Um, so I'm looking forward to his development as well. Well, and it's interesting because, like, one of the reasons I think he made his way into the rotation and into the starting lineup so early is he showed that willingness and aggressiveness on defense. But I think against some of those wings last year, he really struggled like, against those threes and those guys that are a little more, you know, a little faster offensively. I think he struggled against them. But you saw against fours when he did slot into the power forward spot he played pretty well 
So I agree. Like, it, there's a lot of opportunity there for him to grow defensively even more this year, and then become a more reliable scorer. The the one thing I do worry about with with some of the takes I see around Bulls Twitter from Bulls fans is I think a lot of people are expecting like the next Kawhi Leonard. I would be freaking ecstatic if he became the next Luol Dang. Like that would make me happy. I feel like some people need to pump the brakes. If he turns out to be there, like if if that's his ceiling, great. But if his ceiling is only Luol Dang, like a lot of people would go back and redraft and take Luol Dang with the fourth pick. You know what I mean? Like that's not terrible. Yeah, man. I mean, Luol Dang <laughs> meant a lot to those Bulls teams, and he was a guy that um, kind of broke the deal down where it was rumored for Kobe Bryant to want to come here. You know, it was all because of, of, of Luol Dang, uh, allegedly, that that deal fell through. So this, this for him to, to be on par, if he can kind of develop that way and be on par with Luol Dang, you could do a lot worse than that. Um, I think Bulls fans um, would do well to, you know, the guys who aren't familiar with Luol Dang or forgotten about him to, to Google this guy, man. Because Luol Dang, Luol Dang could hoop, man. <laughs> no doubt. And, you know, you forget, like, I think people always remember kind of like that early iteration of the Bulls where Luol Deng was expected to be this this max-level superstar. He never turned out that way, but you saw his value on those teams with Derrick Rose, and he, he ended up being an all-star caliber player in the league. You know, he was still highly productive. Um, so, yeah, if, if Patrick Williams turned out to be that and you add all these other pieces to the Bulls, you, you could do a lot worse. Um, last question before I, I spring you loose, Drew. What's your expectation level for this team? You know, a lot of people say they could be a top four or five team in the East, the Bulls, or maybe a little lower end of the playoff picture in that play-in range. Where do you think the ceiling is? So I think the ceiling for this team, man, it's, it's, it's tough to see them entering the, the Brooklyn Nets and Milwaukee Bucks territory. Um maybe even the Miami Heat and, and Philadelphia, depending on what ends up happening with Simmons. So I, I kind of, in, in the in the same way, I, I've got them, you know, their ceiling being the four or five seed. I would love for them to be able to sneak into that, that fourth spot and, and get a home court, uh, get a series on their home floor in their first round, uh, like New York did, hopefully with some better results. And <laughs> um, their floor, I think, I think maybe the eighth seed. I think maybe the AC. Hmm. I want to go higher, but just looking at some of these other teams, uh, you know, New York. I was kind of low on New York with the the summer that they had, but then I kind of came around on on them, um, kind of working around the margin a little bit and getting Fournier and Kimber. Like I think that is going to make a difference. They, they aren't necessarily sexy names, uh, but I think it helps that team uh, resigning hmm. D Rose. Um, Boston is always going to be tough with the defense and they're getting um, Jalen Brown back. And I think um, having Schroeder, you know, we, there's a lot of talk on Twitter uh, in addition to the the bag that marketing fumble <laughs> was was how Schroeder, uh, how that situation played out. But I think he fell into a, a nice landing spot and I think he'll make that team, I think he'll make that team better. Mm-hmm. Um Indiana, like that roster, man, that roster scares me too. Not from a sense of them them being able to compete with the the upper echelon teams in the East, but they have the guys where you you can see them kind of sneaking into the maybe the five, six, seven range. It's kind of a a, 
a bunch of teams kind of middling or that could be yeah. middling in that in that range, man. Washington too, I think. You know, when they first made that trade for for Westbrook, I said, "Oh man, we're definitely getting past uh, the Wizards now." Um, but kind of looking at their their roster and what they have with um, Kuzma and, and Dinwiddie and KCP, um, Denny. <laughs> well, for for the Denny fans out there, a few of them there are maybe. <laughs> it's really interesting with the East because you you bring up a lot of interesting teams here, and there's like this giant cluster with New York. And I, I think I would include Atlanta into that mix, even though they made a, a deep run. I think, you know, they were kind of beneficiaries of some, some things going their way. So I feel like you got New York, Atlanta, Philly, Miami, Celtics, Wizards, I'd say maybe even the Hornets. There's some teams in there that are kind of all packed together. And I think on paper though, you would say, well, the, the Bulls roster wise, might be better than some of these teams, but you got to see how it all plays out. You know, it, it, you got to see does does everything fit together, and, and that's going to be Billy Donovan's job. He's going to have to earn the the money he's making to be the Bulls' coach. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The the semester just went up on his his chair a little bit for this mm-hmm. upcoming season, <laughs> for sure. We'll see what he does, but it's, it's 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 out of you know the front office's hands to a certain extent now. They've they've come in and pretty much overturned damn near the whole roster. Um, and for all intents and purposes, this roster, <laughs> like you said, on paper is much better than what they inherited. So now it falls on Billy Donovan to um, kind of earn his keep and, and help get this team into the playoffs. You know, it'd be great if they didn't have to vie for a uh, playing spot. Um, but, you know, Vegas can't be shooters around here. <laughs> Not with the way things are going recently. Well, with as fast as the summer is going right now, we're only two months away from NBA season. So it'll be here before you know it, and we can finally get some answers to these questions and start seeing all these pieces come together. Drew, thank you for coming on, and we'll have you on again soon. Yeah, man, that will be awesome, and I appreciate you so much, man, for having me. Um, like I said, I enjoy your pods, man. Uh, so for me to even... <laughs> be on be on this pod with you man it's, it's awesome man thank you thank you for listening to the rebuildable podcast be sure to check us out and subscribe on spotify stitcher apple podcasts google play or wherever else you stream your podcasts